Now you're very anxious. I can hear your voice there. For the sake of the country and even the sake of the markets, I think you should operate prudently and with a little bit of calm in your voice today. Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money podcast. Today's Thursday, October 2nd. I'm Laura Conaway. It's about 5.22 p.m. here in New York. We just heard the soothing words of Representative Marcy Kaptur of Ohio. She was talking to a TV reporter this week, and so we all calmed down. News of the financial crisis helped. It kind of hit a natural pause today. The Senate voted for the $700 billion bailout bill last night. We're expecting a vote in the House of Representatives on Friday. Meanwhile, we got an email from a listener named Cody today. Cody writes, Everyone, everywhere, in every form of media seems to be saying the same thing. We need to do something about this economic crisis. But what if we don't? What would be the long-term picture of inaction? Well, Cody, I'm about to play a very, very rich interview with someone who has an answer, his own answer, to your question. His name is William Longbreak. He served as Chief Financial Officer for Washington Mutual from 1982 through 2002. Longbreak stayed with the bank all those years after until it collapsed and failed last month. He sat down and talked with Adam Davidson and Alex Bloomberg. They're reporting a couple of major stories. The first is for All Things Considered on Friday. The second is for a special edition of This American Life this weekend. Their interview with William Longbreak was kind of a breakthrough. From a position inside the bank, as you know, as a former CFO and as somebody who's probably paying attention, what was the first thing that sort of caused you um, discomfort? Did, was there a, was there an initial sign? Was there something that was going wrong right away that you saw? Oh, absolutely, there was something that disturbed me deeply, and and it actually was a long time ago. It was probably about two thousand three. And that's when home prices began to rise at a rate that was much faster than people's incomes were rising. In the long run, if uh, the value of houses is going up faster than incomes, it begins over time as that gap grows to create an affordability problem for a lot of buyers. In other words, home prices simply get out of their reach. And uh, what what and that's exactly. What happened in our economy is that uh, housing prices felt good when they were going up. Everybody was uh, giddy uh, with all the wealth that they were accumulating, and they, a lot of them spent it and so forth. But the, the problem was that all the time, as housing prices were getting higher and higher and higher, uh, the affordability was declining, and eventually uh, the ability of a lot of people to buy homes just disappeared, and we had too many houses. Now, would you go into a meeting at Washington Mutual and say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm feeling a little weird about this. Home prices are – you're laughing. Oh, I absolutely did that. And what did they say? I'm laughing because uh, you're asking that question. I said 2003, I did that, and yet the bank failed. So you might say, well, okay, why did that happen? They didn't listen to you. Well, that would be one answer. <laughs> <laughs> so who – can let me imagine let me imagine I'm the CEO of Washington Mutual. Bill Longbreak sends me an email, it gives me a call and says, "Hey, home prices are going up really fast. It makes me nervous. I think there's risk here we're not aware of. 
and I say, huh, let me call Let me call down to the mortgage department. Hey, guys, what's going on? We're making more money than we've ever made in our lives, and we think we will continue to make more money than we've ever made in our lives for a long time. And the CEO goes, well, I could listen to Bill and make and not make more money than I've ever made in my life, or I can listen to the mortgage sales guys and ignore Bill and make more money. It seems like an easy choice. Well, and for, unfortunately it was, and, and it was more than just the mortgage guys. It was all of Wall Street. It was all of investors saying, hey, uh, this is great. You're making good profits. There's opportunity. Just go for broke. Go for it. You saw signs of trouble in 2002, 2003, People stop paying back their loans. Basically, that's where it first shows up. Well, so mon- that's monetarily. that's actually exactly right. Is that the uh, delinquencies on loans actually began to build uh, during 2006, two years ago? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, and, you're loaning money to people, and whereas before they'd paid it back, now they couldn't pay it back. Well, not everybody, but you know, yeah. a, a, enough that we're not paying it back that it became very obvious. And right. can I just ask the? I think this is obvious also, but. So Washington Mutual was doing this, as were lots of other banks, doing the stated yes. income, mm-hmm. even the no-income, no-asset loans, the ninja loans, as they're called. Exactly. And, and, and that's where you start seeing the actual numbers. You're seeing – You're a CFO, and you're looking at your balance sheet, and you're like, this now delinquencies are rising. We, we've loaned this money out. It's not coming back at 7%. It's coming back at 6% or 5% because people are defaulting. And then we can't resell the houses now because – there's the the market has started to decline, and so if we buy a house at if we if the, if the person bought a house at you know seven hundred thousand, we can only sell it now at six hundred thousand. So now we're taking a loss, right? Exactly. Right. When the losses began to accumulate, and that's from the delinquencies that you mentioned a moment ago, mm-hmm. and then the sales of homes at depressed prices or reduced prices, uh, mm-hmm. the losses began to occur. Then what many companies did is they went out to find new sources of stock. Uh-huh. And in, in the case of Wash Mutual, it went out in April of this year into a group of private investors and raised $7.2 billion in new stock. And that was intended to cover losses and actually help the bank bridge uh, the gap in time to absorb uh, the losses that were coming off of the loan portfolio. Unfortunately, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oftentimes it does. Oftentimes getting an additional capital is a way to uh, make up for the losses that uh, are now coming in, in, in and uh, help the institution survive. And many, many would have done that, and uh, some like Wash Mutual, it wasn't enough. Uh, others uh, will survive. As somebody, I feel like sometimes out in the public there's this sense that like it's a, it's a huge multinational, it's, in this case it wasn't multinational, but it's a huge $300 billion corporation. And... You know, it, 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 it was there. How did it feel to be watching it go down? Did, was it like, a, was there an emotional component for you? Did, were you actually sad? Did you actually sort of feel depression about it? Well, let me give you an analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Washington Mutual failed last Thursday. My sister in law died on Tuesday. And she died of cancer. We had known that she had a very aggressive cancer for two years. And we knew that uh, survival was unlikely. And as the time of her death approached, it became more and more apparent that it was imminent. So we all go through the grieving process. 
and with loved ones, and particularly when we have time to absorb what's happening, we have, you know, it doesn't make it any less painful when the actual event occurs, but we do have the opportunity to understand and go through that grieving process and cope with it. And the same thing was true with Wash Mutual. It wasn't like one day it was a great company and the next day it was uh, put into receivership by the FDIC. No, it, it progressed over a very long period of time. And so, yes, there were emotional moments for me, uh, unhappy moments, uh, angry moments. That's what you do through go through through the grieving process, but I had long since, prior to last week, come to accept the likely outcome. Mm-hmm. But it was Does that make sense to you? But, yeah, but yeah. I, and the thing that strikes me is that the the very fact that you would com- that you would compare it to a loss of a loved one means that there was actual that was grief. Yeah, so there definitely was grief on the part of many many of the employees in the company. And you and, you've and devoted some were better. I was just going to say some were better prepared for that than others. But I mean, you have devoted, you said eighty two, so so twenty twenty six twenty six years of your life to this place. Yeah. So I, I understand how this this affects a, a company that was in the mortgage market. You know, like companies like yours, Washington Mutual, and others that were sort of making a lot of home loans. How does it spread, though? I mean, that's what's being talked about now. Is that this that there's like. It's it's gone from being a mortgage problem to a system wide problem. It's spreading. Do you have any sense of how, how does that happen? How does somebody you know who was making a lot of loans in 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 the mortgage market spread to a bank that wasn't making as many that wasn't in the mortgage market as much? Well, it spread in two different ways. So let's take them one at a time. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you go back to the Washington Mutual example. Mm-hmm. A large amount of the funds that were used to finance those loans that were made came from other institutions. Mm-hmm. Then also, a lot of the loans that were made by Washington Mutual were put into securities and sold to investors. Right. And the investors would be pension funds, uh, you know, money market mutual funds, you, you name it. Uh, other Other banks? Other banks, mm-hmm. insurance companies, okay. foreign governments, right? A lot, lot of uh, investors uh, came from abroad, but so all these people are now holding paper or securities, I should say, mm-hmm. that have losses in them, right? As the housing prices turn down and, and delinquencies rise and losses begin to occur, the losses are not just in the bank, mm-hmm. but amongst a broad set of investors. And then on the other side, the, the borrowed funds uh, from these investors say, well, if the bank fails, will I get paid off? Because unlike a depositor who's insured by the FDIC, a company that lends to the bank is not always protected. I see. And so what happens in a panic, it's like yelling fire in a theater. You want to race for the exit, and it creates everybody, you know, you don't think, you just go. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened here in the last few weeks is you've literally got to panic. It's don't ask questions, just get your money out. Right. And if and if you, as, a, as an institution, you need people to lend you money. Like, that is the entire business model of a bank. If you can't get people to lend you at 2 and 3%, you don't have any money to lend out at 6 or 7%. So you have no way of making money. The the lending side is critical, 
right? Yeah, absolutely critical. Yes. And so, and so, what you're saying is, if 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 there becomes like sort of a a, a if your if your bank becomes tainted with like the fear that we're going to lend you money and you're not and we're not going to get it back, then all of a sudden your business model sort of goes down the tubes pretty rapidly. If you can't raise that money, you you can't sort of operate, right? If the bank suddenly has less funds available to lend. Mm-hmm. Then the relationship they have with the small business customer, I'm just trying to give you an example yeah. here, is that the small business customer needs to have a draw on their line of credit for, let's say, pay, making a payroll payment or um, something of that sort. Buying some equipment. And, and, and yeah. the bank doesn't have the money to give to them. Right. Or, or personalize it this way. The uh, homeowner has an equity line of credit, which they can draw upon to pay for junior's college expenses or for vacation or what home repairs or whatever. You know, lots of people have home equity lines of credit that they use that way. What the banks have now been doing since there's less funding available is they have been arbitrarily reducing the lines of credit. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly what people thought they could borrow is not available any longer. Right. So those those are real consequences for people and for for businesses, particularly small businesses. And if it creates uncertainty, it creates anxiety, and at the worst, it actually uh, makes it impossible for them to do uh, pursue business plans or pursue uh, personal plans that they were intending to do, and that has a consequence for the functioning of the economy. So that's 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 a, that's the consequence of of like a bank going down, a bank like Washington Mutual or whatever going down, and. Um, that's that's a consequence in the real economy. Then the the way it sort of spreads to other banks, and let's just make sure I understand this. I lent you money. I'm a bank. I lent you money. I'm a company. I lent you money in the form of a bond or something like that. And then I I'm and then if if you go down, then I don't. Then that's a loss for me, basically, right? And so then okay. I'm and that starts to cascade. So just like you had losses on your lending side, now they have losses on their lending side, and they're going through the same process that you went through, where you have to like borrow money and raise capital, and and you that people start to worry about you. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, fear takes hold. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who's the next one to fall and cause you a loss. So take no chances. Just get your money out of there and to a safe place. That's why. Uh, back on the 19th of September, when uh, really this current panic started, uh, the Treasury bill rate that day, uh, the 13-week Treasury bill rate, went to zero. Right. Uh, because people, people just wanted to be in a safe asset, to know, to, even if it had no yield to it. Bill, I, I feel like I want it to be rational panic. Am I right? Because if it, I mean, irrational panic. Because if it's well, irrational it, panic, with a little bit of time, everyone will calm down and and figure things out. If it's rational, that means we really are as bad off as it seems. <laughs> with irrational, at least we got a shot at at coming out of this okay with with some time. Well, so so let me kind of rain on your parade a little bit. <laughs> uh, it is irrational panic at the moment, and that's uh, what the Congress and the President and the uh, Secretary of the Treasury and uh, the Chairman of the Federal Reserve are all trying to deal with is to take the panic out of the current situation by passing a piece of legislation. But there is a more fundamental issue. And so just passing a piece of legislation and taking away the irrational panic is not going to suddenly mean that the economy is going to be marvelous and and recover. You're still going to have losses that the system has to absorb, and until that's completed, 
there will continue to be negative pressure on financial institutions and probably uh, negative consequences for the economy as a whole. Right. So I hope that doesn't sound too dark, but that's uh, it's pretty kind of dark, it's... Bill. <laughs> well, because because what you're saying is like that that like it's gonna this process is gonna continue sort of no matter what. If housing is at the bottom of all this, then loans are gonna continue to deteriorate in value, and you're gonna continue to have no, to raise the, money. The, the process we need, you're not gonna stop the home price fall. That's, Essentially, right. the the objective has to be to get them back to reasonable levels. And in the process of that occurring is to contain the damage, the collateral damage that's occurring. Mm-hmm. Right. So to keep to make sure that like if you're to make sure that the panic doesn't spread, to make sure it doesn't go down. Right. Because, the, you know, the panic actually can make things far, far worse than they need to be. But so so what let's just say for now the, the worst happens. I mean. Does it mean, like, I walk around Manhattan and there's a few more stores closed, there's a few more people out of work, but basically my life is the same? Or does it mean, like, I need a lot of canned soup in my basement and <laughs> bottled water? And Well, I, I don't think we're looking for a replay of the 1930s here. But uh, but people are think... talking about, I mean, the word Great Depression comes up an awful lot lately. Well, that, that, that and, and uh, that's because... The kinds of events that are happening in the financial markets right now, have we have not seen since the 1930s, quite frankly. We've had other financial crises in the, over the last few decades, but nothing quite to compare with the current one. So it's, it's understandable that you would get these kinds of comparisons. That doesn't mean that we're headed in that direction. It's, it strikes because, me that – oh, sorry – well, well yeah, I was go just going to say that the, the student of history, if you go back and study the 30s, there were enormous mistakes made on the policy front that did get into that amplification and magnification that, that we were talking about a moment ago, mm-hmm. where the panic didn't sue and everything, you got up to 25% unemployment in the country. Right. I don't believe that's going to happen because, uh, again, we have things in place today that we didn't have in those days. We have unemployment benefits, insurance benefits to keep income propped up. We have uh, deposit insurance, which we didn't have back Mm -hmm. then. And so there are a lot of uh, safety net types of things that will cushion the blow. Mm -hmm. And I am optimistic, ultimately, that the Congress and the administration and the Federal Reserve will do things that help cushion the necessary correction so that it doesn't evolve into a panic and and a depression type of outcome. Mm -hmm. Now, let me just paint another picture, which I think you're going to tell me is absolutely ridiculous and is not at all possible. (laughs) So this other picture is a true meltdown of our financial system where there is, I go to the ATM machine, there's no cash there because the bank doesn't have enough cash to put it there because they can't get a line of credit. I go... I want to write a check, but my bank is under FDIC receivership, and so is every other bank around, and, it's, and there's a chaos that has, um, that has ensued. My employer can't pay me because they can't get the short-term loan to make payroll this month. And I'm starting to you know, trade my furniture for chickens in order to eat. <laughs> Because our monetary, you know, our our financial system has broken, and I don't know who has chickens. I don't even know where to go. With there is a furniture. place near me in Brooklyn okay. that sells live chickens. Right. I'm going to go there today and just make sure they have enough. I'm going like, to get to know them. Honey, don't forget to bring the, the the stuffed chair. Don't forget to bring the rocking chair. We need some chickens tonight. Yeah, that we become a barter economy. <laughs> that money ceases to have any meaning. Is that on the table? 
No, absolutely not. Yeah. So you're right. That's that's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me let me play the other. Let me let me just my my question is 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 the following. I'm. I hear people sort of talking about like very dire consequences, but then when people lay out the dire consequences, it sounds like a pretty severe recession, which I've lived through. Every we've all lived through, um, and or maybe not even that severe a recession. Maybe like you know, you know, late seventies, early eighties, something like that. Now, the the you know the bailout bill that as we are talking now was defeated. It's coming up for a vote again in the Senate tonight. Um, it's seven hundred billion dollars in public money that's going to go to, sort of by necessity, it's going to go to the to the same people who made some bad decisions, probably right. And and there is a sense, I think, on the behalf of the public, and you know, you know, part of me shares that sense that is this, you know, if we believe in the free market, which I think we do, isn't there a, isn't there an argument argument to be made that why won't the market sort of sort itself out? There are banks that are strong. They will take over the banks that are weak. They will start lending. They have to lend. That is the only way a bank makes money. There are people with cash. They have to lend it out. That is the only way they make money. You know, there are companies that are solvent, that are good credit risks, that are, you know, people are going to be happy to lend money to. Isn't there an, is there an argument to be made that it, why why should the taxpayer be on the hook for, you know, bailing out companies that that didn't make good decisions. You've raised basically what I would say are, are two different issues. Okay. You know, one has to do with with the bailout, but the other has to do what with uh, what is the responsibility of the public authorities now? Right. If you're a true believer in uh, free markets, you could argue, and, and those true believers do, is the market will correct itself. Well, but at what cost in the process. And what we were discussing earlier was the potential for an ordinary downturn and correction, a necessary correction and purging of excesses to spin out of control and move into panic and perhaps even depression. So there is a role for public authorities, for public policy, Mm -hmm. to manage the correction in a way that it doesn't spin out of control and create needless damage and potentially lead to panic. So that that would be my first point, and that's what the Congress and the administration are attempting to do. And when they say dire consequences, if you don't do this, they're referring to uh, we can't promise that the market will self-correct in an orderly fashion. It might indeed very bad things happen if we don't intervene. The other point I would make has to do with the, let's come back to the $700 billion because uh, it has been uh, billed as a bailout, and it really is not, but it's the fault of the uh, administration for not explaining that uh, uh, properly. Mm -hmm. What is being proposed is a fund of treasury money up to $700 billion to purchase distressed assets at fair market prices. And if th- that is done appropriately in terms of the price discovery and, and, and buying those assets, then the treasury will end up with the balance sheet that we talked about earlier, is it will have not $700 billion in face value loans, but $700 billion in loans fair value or what's recoverable value against $700 billion in Treasury securities where we've done the borrowing. So the balance sheet will equal. 
It will hold those until the crisis passes. They will collect uh, the principal payments, and eventually whatever's left they will sell. Mm -hmm. But there is every chance that at the end of the day, the Treasury will end up even, so there will be no loss whatsoever to the taxpayer. It might even end up with a profit. There's mm-hmm. a chance there'll be a loss, but it's certainly not anywhere close to $700 billion. So simply to say this is a bailout of Wall Street and it's going to be $700 billion loss to the taxpayers is just it's not the correct interpretation. But that's right. nobody has explained that at all particularly right, right. well. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's easy for everyone to say, oh, $700 billion, we're bailing out Wall Street, uh, the taxpayers are bear- bearing the burden. That's a bad thing. That was William Longbreak, former chief financial officer of Washington Mutual. He talked to Alex Bloomberg and Adam Davidson. And that's the Planet Money podcast for today, Thursday, October 2nd. We're off to watch the great vice presidential debate. I'm Laura Conaway. Take care. <laughs>